Welcome to the world's premier Black Crows podcast. State of America. Hosted by two of the band's most dedicated fans, David Hudson and Ian Rice. And now, let's get the show on the road. Welcome back, everyone, to the State of America podcast. My name is David, and I am here with my co-host, Ian, and we're back for our second episode. I want to thank everybody that uh, listened to the first one and commented and sent us tweets and Facebook messages and however uh, you get in touch with us. The feedback was overwhelmingly positive and uh, made us feel really good about what we're doing and um, really motivated us. And like we said last week, initially... We were just going to do one a month for a while, and then Ian and I got the itch, and so we may chug one out one a week now for a while. Um, but uh, just thank you, everybody that that listened and commented and shared uh, on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. I uh, just really appreciate it. We've got a lot of um, we got a lot of big ideas, uh, and so we're going to take baby steps though with it. Though we don't want to do all the big stuff first. So uh, thank you all for uh, for listening. Um, our social media platforms, we're on Twitter, State of Amorca, Instagram, State of Amorca Podcast. We have a Facebook page, the State of Amorca Podcast. And uh, right now, you can get us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Spotify. Uh, iTunes isn't wanting to play nice with us right now. Uh, I'm nope. working on that. I hope within the next week or so, we'll be on iTunes. And uh, I've applied to be on Podchaser and CastBox. So, uh Hopefully, by the time next time we record, we'll have all of this taken care of and, uh, and settled. And so, uh, <coughs> thank you, like I said, to everyone that has listened. So, Ian, we got one in the books, and uh, after we got done, yes. the next day, we were both like, we're not going to wait a month. Yeah, no, definitely not, because uh, aside from all the ideas we have, just the response to it was uh, unbelievable. I, I, can't, I can't thank people enough for uh, getting on board right away and, and really enjoying you know i was i was apprehensive because you know first episode just introducing ourselves and people were even enjoying that so I'm, I'm, I'm really i'm thrilled yeah i am too and it's i've had several people uh, you know send me messages like this is what i wanted a black cross podcast to sound like so uh we're just two guys that love this band and i uh, have loved them for a long time and and uh kind of have a, a wealth of I guess you could say worthless knowledge that we, uh, that we enjoy, but, um, I've, I've really been pleased with the response. And, uh, like I said earlier, I, we've got some big things. I think they're going to happen with the podcast. And, um, just so everybody knows, Ian, uh, he runs the Facebook page, so he'll be the one responding to you on Facebook. And, uh, I'm running the Twitter account and uh, Instagram account. And uh, we also created a uh, Spotify account, and what we aim to do is uh, each episode take music that we've talked about, put it on a Spotify playlist, and I'll publish that on Twitter, and Ian will publish it on Facebook, and uh, that way uh, you can listen to, to those songs. And the first one um, had several songs that weren't Crow songs. We talked about the Stooges and Pink Floyd and uh, Traffic, uh, Feeling All Right, uh, or Joe Cocker, whichever version you prefer. So we put all of that on there. So if we talk about another band or whatever, we'll put whatever song we talk about on there. Um, so Ian, we're doing a podcast about a band that broke up six or seven years ago. 
And um, oddly enough, the week we put our podcast out, there's more Black Crows news than there's been in six years. I know. And, you know, it's a funny thing after I, uh, you know, we were kind of teasing and anticipating the, the debut episode. And then I realized that maybe some people thought we were going to lay some uh, truth on them or something and, and give them some insight into something. And I felt bad if anybody kind of felt that's where we were going. Like uh, David said, we're just two guys who are really into the band. We, uh, we don't know anything. Is that <laughs> <laughs> well, if you, if you've been living under a rock, um, Adam McDougal has left or fired, I guess, depending on who you, who you hear from the Chris Robinson brotherhood and um, those rumors came out early last week, and then, uh, of course, the whole community got up in arms over it, and then uh, uh, a couple of days later, it kind of played out just like the rumors said. There was a press release that uh, Adam is out, and that Neil is leaving at the end of the tour they have booked, and that the band is going on a hiatus. And um, oddly enough, last Friday... The Crows were booked at a festival in not the Crows, as the Crow Flies, were booked at a festival in um, California. Now, when I went to see As the Crow Flies, it was McDougal, Marcus King, Tony Leone, Audley Freed, C. Rob, and Andy Hess. And um, obviously, I don't think Adam was going to be playing with As the Crow Flies, so he was not there, and Audley was not there. Um, Jackie Green took Marcus King's spot. And there was a guy, I think his name was Benji, Benji Shanks. Benji Shanks, I'm sorry, getting tongue-tied. Uh, was play, I don't know if he played uh, keys or on guitar, but anyway, um, he had some guys uh, fill in and play. And so I don't know if there's any more As the Crow Flies shows booked, but um, more Brotherhood dates I see have been canceled. So who knows, I mean, um, where that's going to go. Uh, I, you know, we talked last week about... Um, there's a lot more positive about the black crows than there is negative. And, um, you know, if, if I understand why some people don't want to listen to, uh, the brotherhood and I completely appreciate that. Um, I kind of didn't go down that road for a while and about a year, year and a half ago, uh, they just really clicked with me and I got into it. So I've enjoyed having his music and, and having the magpie music and riches solo music. And I, I enjoy it all, but I understand, you know, why some people, uh, uh, don't necessarily agree with that. And then, um, oddly enough, the same day, the Magpie Salute webpage goes down. You know, and so what did you think when you saw that? Were you like, uh-oh, here we go? I, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't know uh, what to make of it at first. I, it's, it's, it's a funny thing. It's a, it's such a, you got to tread lightly with these things. You know, if you say one thing, uh, you know, Somebody gets angry. Right. Say another thing. You know, there's there's a lot of a lot of division amongst uh, some people that are were into the band, and then which which kind of avenue they went down. More power to people that were able to just go with everything. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, I I personally, where my head is at right now, um, I'm very invested in the Magpie Salute. I like what they're doing. I I feel it's the most genuine of all the options, and I I really would like to see them continue. I was very impressed with how they approached the crows catalog when they first started touring and then the original material is is great and they have so much other original material lined up for that second record that i'm really interested in and i i'd like to see that keep going i mean you know it, 
but you know, I understand also how Black Crows getting back together would would mean a mean a lot to people and, and would be what they're looking for. Um, and not to say that I wouldn't, uh, depending on how it shakes out and how the lineup goes, if if it was to be, you know, I, not to say I wouldn't participate, but uh, my uh, my heart is with the Magpie Salute these days, you know. Well, maybe there's a way to to satisfy everybody. Um, you know, if they got back together and said, we're going to do, you know, two month run, um, with Gorman and Ford, um, I'm going, uh, I'm, I'm going to see that. And then go back to their, you know, go back to their solo projects. Cause it doesn't say that the brotherhood's broken up, it just says they're on hiatus. And, um, I like you, I'm like you, that first magpie record just really wet my appetite. And they had the, they had their shows were so good they approached the Crows catalog with almost a reverence. Like there were some songs, you know, they, they went deep into the catalog playing stuff. Like when I saw them, they played don't wake me. And Rich goes, I've not played this in 25 years. Um, you know, and they, and they, and they dug into some of the real deep cuts and some of the unreleased stuff. Um, uh, you know, I, I kept just hoping and praying they were going to play life fest. Uh, they, they still (laughs) haven't busted that out, but, you know the, the the magpie shows and capture the vibe of of the crows. Uh, the Robinson shows uh, the two I've been to. I had a great time, but it's just different. Uh, you know, but I mean, Chris is honest though. I don't think he's trying to be the Black Crows. You know, so no, I, I, no, and, and that's from square one. Uh, you know, and I give him all the credit in the world for that. Um, yeah, so the web the magpie website goes down, and then um, it comes. There's a message saying that I guess whoever was the webmaster went out of business, and they're like, "Don't worry, we're gonna have a new single and album release info coming out soon." But it didn't say anything about tour dates. No, that's uh, you know, and I thought maybe you know I I had said to you, uh, you know, all fair that uh, maybe it was um, you know the dates come with the new website or something, but it's all really speculation at this point. And I guess that's what kind of make, makes it exciting and nerve wracking at the same time, you know. When they put up the headline, don't panic. Yeah, I, they must have picked up that vibe right away. You know, <laughs> that's what happens, you know. Um, and it's it's almost to me, it's almost a testament to the to the band itself. You know, people are so, I, more than any other band I've ever really seen. Maybe maybe like uh, you know, Grateful Dead or, or things like that. But people are so invested in the band. You know, you don't you don't get that kind of loyalty with a lot of too many bands. You know, you don't. And and I think the fact that people get so upset one way or the other is actually a good thing. That means that what they did mattered to people. Yeah. You know, I always used to think before you got involved in, in message boards and, and then Facebook things and that, you know, I always, I kind of felt like the people, does this resonate with people the same way it does with me? And it, it really does. I, I've never seen a band that has such a, a longevity with people and that they take it so seriously and in a good, in the best way possible, you know? Right. And people, don't if if you become a fan of the band you're a fan of the band um yeah. you, you don't jump off that train now you may have certain era, eras that you like you know more than others but by and large you know the the band has made a connection with people and um once they touch them um you know it it, it stays with you i'm you know there's not a there's not three or four days in a row goes by that i don't listen to a crow song or at least a related project Oh yeah, it's it's every day of my life in some facet. Yeah, absolutely. And now that uh, you and I are doing this, I'm going back and 
kind of getting into the um, collecting shows, uh, you know, routine. I had, uh, I, I had a, I had a bunch when I was in grad school, and I don't know what happened to a lot of them. Like, you know, I had like those original band sessions, and you know, the right. other mixes, and then you were gracious enough to to send that to me. But uh, yeah, I'm getting back into it, um, trying to uh, you know increase my catalog because for one thing, we got to have some ammunition for this show for our yeah. our playout songs uh which uh by the way we got a lot of compliments on that um that was uh that was ian's idea for us to have a song to play out um uh at the end of each show and we're probably gonna try to work some songs into the actual podcast in in the future but uh so if you were if i had if you had to put a gun to your head and you had to make a decision one way or the other are chris and rich gonna share a stage within the next calendar year i uh I mean, I don't want to uh, break any hearts here, but I don't. Uh, I don't see it happening. I don't. I think the. Uh, I think there was too much said. You can't take back. You know, maybe I, I'd love to see them, honestly, um, on a brotherly level, work that back out. But I, I think I, I honestly think for both of them, the what they've the the roads they've individually gone down have been so positive for them. And, um, you know, for, on both accounts from, from each of them, it seems like, um, it was a rough, it was a rough go with the last couple of tours. And I, I really think that they, you know, they've, their creativity has blossomed that much more individually, but, you know, again, would I, would I not show up if they did? Uh, of course I would, you know? Yeah, I would, I honestly, I'm, if I'm being honest, if, if they get back together, regardless of who all's in the band and they come within three hours of me, I'm going. So, uh, I'll, I'll just, I'll just say that. Um, it, it, it saddens me about the brotherhood because the, there's four songs that have been released one way or the other from the forthcoming album servants of the sun and stay with us folks. We'll have a servants of the sun giveaway when the album comes out, but, um, they're more stripped down and, and sound more like conventional rock songs than anything he's done, I think, since like the first or second album. And so I'm really looking for It's still going to come out. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, um, and I liked all of his albums. They all kind of have a different character to them. But this one seems, if he's going to make something that you would call like a straight-up rock record, this is as close as I think he's going to get to it. And uh, now, you know, he's doing the, the Greenleaf Rustlers, which is like a... a uh, they play like, uh, country and folk and bluegrass songs, and um, if you like that, more power to you. That's just not my my cup of tea, all of that much. But uh, anyway, so we'll see what happens. Uh, but uh, it was great to have it the same week that we released our podcast. Generated a lot of interest for us. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you know, and that being said, I hope you know, even if that did give the uh, the show here a little fuel to start with, I hope people. And it seems like they did enjoy what they heard, and, and will keep coming back to us. And because uh, we got a lot of, you know, when we're not when we're not recording this, we're talking to each other about what we're going to do the next time, and then that time after that, and the time after that. And yeah, we've so already we've game. already booked about a hundred shows between our ideas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So this week, uh, when we post this episode, um, Ian, like I said, he's going to run the Facebook page. He's going to post uh, post it on Facebook. So we have our first of many giveaways. So what we want you to do is, when he posts, in the comment section under the post, tag two, uh, tag two people that you think would enjoy our podcast. And um, we are going to select somebody randomly that did that. 
and we're going to send you a, um, I'm going to email you a Nugs gift card uh, so that you can go. It'll be enough where you can download, uh, you know, a show uh, of whoever uh, you choose. So once Ian posts it, in the comment section, tag two people that you think will like uh, our podcast, and uh, we're going to randomly select one of you, and one of us will get in touch with you via email and uh, get your or, or DM and get your email address, and we'll uh, we'll get the Nugs gift card to you, and uh, hopefully you'll go download something Crows related because uh, Crows are on there, Magpies on there, the Brotherhoods on there, uh, so. Uh, we don't care what you get, honestly. Just get, get by live music. Uh, but that's something that we wanted to do, and we have a whole myriad of ideas for giveaways. So this is just the first one. We'll our next one will probably be uh, focus on Twitter, and then one on Instagram, and then we have some other ideas of stuff we want to do. And uh, the the giveaways will get sometimes some of them will be a lot bigger, and some of them will be just a Nugs gift card. So, but we thought that was a good way to start. Oh, definitely, and I am I am no stranger to the giveaway, so we definitely have some good uh, good ideas brewing for that. Yeah, yeah. If you're a fan of the uh, true fans of the uh, Magpie Salute page, Ian is the king of giveaways and coming up with cool <laughs> stuff. Uh, he really is, and uh, if you follow that page, he does a lot of really cool uh, giveaways. And so, uh, with him brainstorming a lot of this, uh, you're not going to be disappointed. All right, so this week um, we're going to talk about um, opening songs at a concert. And Ian, when I think of the Black Crows and I think of an opening song, the first thing that comes to my mind is an apple with the Nag Champa incense brought out onto the (laughs) stage about five minutes. It's kind of like, you know, when you go to a a Broadway musical or whatever, they they flash the lights about 10 minutes, you know, so everybody gets their seat. Right, if right. you're at anything Chris Robinson related, and I think Magpie did it as well, uh, when the incense comes out, you need to get to where you want to be to, to listen to the show. Yeah, I mean that is like the uh, the telltale sign. It's 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 almost like uh, uh, you know Pavlov's dogs kind of thing. You see that, you start the excitement that it hits, then you know that goes into full adrenaline. You know, because you know what's coming. Yeah, when I took my wife, well, she wasn't my wife at that point, but we'd been dating for a little bit. Uh, we did uh, back-to-back crow shows, did one in Memphis and then one on in Biloxi on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. And uh, the apple came out and everything. I said, all right, here we are. We're about to go. And she's like, what do you mean? How do you know that? I'm like, when the knock chomper comes out, it's go time. <laughs> uh, and so I, I don't know about you, but I really feel like an opening song for me, especially with the crows, sets the tone for the entire concert. Um, when I go home at night from a crow show and I'm replaying things in my head, the opening song is usually what I start with. And a lot of times that has kind of been an indicator of what kind of show you're going to get. Yeah. And, you know, I've always been a, a fan of, and they were the first band I knew of that it did it, where they change up the set every night. So part of the anticipation of going to see them is, you know, what's going to be on first? What are they, what, rare thing are they going to throw in there what are they closing with you know who's who might show up and it, it keeps it interesting but the the opening song is definitely something that's that sticks in your mind and it's you know it's almost fun to try to uh, maybe it's the uh, the music geek and maybe to try to call it you know oh i think it's going to be this tonight you know right i've only got it right a couple of times um well and also i love the music that they play when they come out to sometimes, you know, it's like some African tribal chant, uh, you know, back in the nineties, they did like not sports center theme, but it was some kind of sports related 
uh, theme that they came out to. And uh, I've always enjoyed that, um, you know, because that starts playing and usually takes them about a minute to get on stage and then about a minute to get strapped in and, you know, get everything turned on and go. And, and, uh, and then from there on, uh, you know, it's good times. Do you remember your first show? What was played your first show opening song? Yeah. I mean, you know, one reason or another, my first show was until 2001. And <coughs> as far as openers go, it's one that I feel, um, is always a, a winner, but you, you didn't see it too much outside of that tour, and it was um, uh, Midnight from the Inside Out. And that's, I mean, that's a, there's a lot, there's a lot of people, at, Lions is a big divider amongst Black Crows fans, and I, I've always been one that I try to find something to enjoy with every record. I, I personally like Lions a lot more than most people. And that song was always like the, the, the standout on that album for me. So to hear that as an opener and it really, that, that intro riff to that is a, is a great opener. Man, I'm so glad you said that because I have first thing here in my notes. Mine was the Lions tour as well, my first show. Um, Midnight from the Inside Out may be a top 10 Crow song for me. I absolutely love it. That was the first, I saw him in, in Tupelo, Mississippi, uh, at the Bancor South Center. It was probably three thousand, three or 4,000 people there. Big crowd. And uh, they opened with that. And, uh, I mean, I love it. And oddly enough, my first Magpie show, they opened with it as well. What are <laughs> that's, the, you know, that's cool. And I remember at the Magpie show, it was in New Orleans at the House of Blues, and I'm, I'm probably five feet, five or six feet from Rich. And they're walking out, and I go, man, it would be really cool if they broke into, um, uh, you know, Midnight from the Inside Out, and they kind of do that false beginning almost, you know, that they right. do on the record. And I was like, you got to be kidding me! My first Crow show, my first Magpie show, uh, kind of a rare, a rare uh, song. And if you remember, uh, on that tour, they um, there was I don't know, it was like an ABC music special or whatever. It was them, the old ninety sevens, and Space Hog. And oh, um, it was on uh, it was HBO's Reverb. Yeah. Oh yeah, right, yeah HBO's show, Reverb. Yeah, yeah and uh, that was one of the sh- the songs that they played. Um, um, I mean, I, I, like I said, I love it, and I think it's kind of a the song strikes a balance between kind of different eras. I mean, if if that if that song was played during during the Amorica time, it wouldn't it wouldn't be out of place. Uh, no. but then also if you told me that song was recorded for shake your moneymaker, I wouldn't be surprised either. Yeah. It kind of ties in uh, to me, that whole, that whole album and, and tour, they were right off of, um, you know, the whole thing with Jimmy page. And that has a lot of that, a lot of Zeppelin stuff in there, but not like in an obvious way, but you can, you, you really felt the influence there. And I, I, that's why I, I like the large part of lines. If you, if you spend some time with it, you, you know, a lot of those songs, you could see what, what, what they took away from, playing with jimmy page well i think it, i think there's like five songs on there if you took those five songs out and maybe put in a b-side or one or two to fill up one or two of those spaces the album would be thought of a lot higher yes uh, i do actually have my own custom lions uh, <laughs> what, uh what songs what songs do you take out i think um not that i dislike it as much as everybody else seems to but i took out ozone mama because it didn't really fit me it was kind of an odd the odd man out there uh obviously put in um last time again i don't understand that really should have been on that album that's and i've heard them 
perform it. I actually think it was Magpie that performed it. I didn't don't think mm-hmm. I saw them do it, but um, you know I like that song and um, um, I had a couple of uh, alternate. I, I, I lucked into some CD somewhere that somebody sent me, um, and it had a few alternate versions of like Greasy Grass River and Losing My Mind, where the mix was different. So I threw those in instead, and you know, so. But you're definitely right. It, you know, a couple of tweaks, and that would have been, I think, would have been thought of more universally highly. You know. Well, I saw on an interview or heard on an interview one, uh, Rich say that if he could go back and redo one in the studio, it would be Lions. Mm. Uh, which I would have thought it would have been by your side, but um, just because the by your side was so polished and just was kind of um, not the sound that they had on the previous, you know, three albums. But uh, all right, so Midnight from the Inside Out, uh, you, both of our first shows. Every time, every both times we saw the Crows, that's what they opened with. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, when I started thinking about openers. Um, I go back to the highs of the moon tour and no speak, no slave. Um, I have watched so many YouTube videos of this song. They, they opened most of the shows with it. And if you've seen the videos back then, they had, it was just basically a curtain of light bulbs and it's, uh, uh, you know, the stage is dark and it's dark in the arena and all you see are these light bulbs. And at first they're covering the band up and they're doing, that kind of, I guess, kind of like an intro, and then when it kicks into the main riff, the curtain opens up, and they're they're there. And I don't know what it is about them playing this song at that time, but they played it with such intensity. And like, we're gonna play out our episode with a version from Rotterdam. And on the on the video, I mean, at the end, Rich jumps up, jumps up and down like you know, like a '70s rock star, which you know you just don't think of Rich doing that. And Chris, Chris is dancing like a man possessed. Uh, yeah. So when I think of Crow's openers, "No Speak, No Slave" is what comes to mind the first for me. Yeah, I mean it really doesn't get much better than that. Uh, that high as the moon. That that's intense. And and there's something about um, "No Speak, No Slave." For whatever reason, it, live the 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 intro is different. And I always much preferred the one they did live. I don't know if it would necessarily translate to to a studio version with that, but it it, it really just it's much more of a build-up, and it gets you, you know, you're, you're definitely right. That that, that has to be, I, I might even go so far as to say that that's, that was the top, you know, 92 with that as the opener. I think that was the, the top opening thing, you know. And like I said, they play it with such intensity. Um, so when what comes to your your mind when you think of a Crow's opener? What's the, what do you think is the quintessential? Well, I mean, I, I've tried to... Uh, to think of a few that I, I've experienced and, and definitely, and I never thought it would be the case because, uh, you know, Shake Your Money Maker to me was always like the uh, the foundation and I, I enjoyed a lot of it, but I, I would actually, uh, uh, you know, surprised to say probably is, is the one I go back to the least. So when I was at, um, I believe it was uh, 2009, 2010, the Terminal 5 in, 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 in New York City and uh, they opened with twice as hard. I, I didn't think it would hit me as hard as it did. That's a fantastic opener. Just that that riff. They 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 almost slow it down a little bit, and it just the way it rings out and, and the, the excitement that people got from hearing that. It was it was really cool to be in the room for that. Of of the songs that get played off that album the most, that's my favorite one. Uh, every, I've seen them do it, but close shows with it several times, which I think yeah. is the a hallmark of an amazing band. 
Uh, you could close any show with twice as hard. People are going to go home happy. You could close with no speak, no slave, and they're going to go home happy. Yeah, um, yeah I, I, I absolutely love twice as hard. And I always love how they end it. You know, they add a little, a couple of riffs there at the end and then just abruptly stop. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. It's just, uh, yeah, that's, and, and, you know, that, and then there's a couple of times uh, more more recently in, in terms of the newer stuff from their their catalog when uh, I thought that um, uh, Been a Long Time, Waiting on Love was a, a great opener. That's a that's a, a late in the game, solid riff from, from Rich. And it was really a song that I think on the, uh, actually on the, uh, on the, on the record, because it was obviously recorded live at, at Levon's place there. I think if you if you listen close enough, somewhere in that song, because uh, they were everybody was told kind of to keep it down, you know, until after the the track, and then you know so they could get a decent recording of it. I think on that one you can actually hear somebody yell out in that just because from the excitement of it. So that was always a cool opener to me too. That's my favorite song on that album. Yeah, and um, me too. I, I, I and I I think it could have I think it could have fit in with those first. To, it could have it could have fit in on the first two songs with its heaviness on on Amorica. You know, you put that in behind uh, a conspiracy, and and you're not going to blink. Yeah, and that was also one of the times where I felt that Rich and Luther really did something that you know blended nicely. You know, rather rather than Luther just kind of playing something on the top, you know, it was uh, his contribution made that. You know the sound as much as as rich as riff itself. You know. So what's a like what's a song you think when if you're if you're as been to many shows as you're going to and if they open with as soon as the, you hear the first note you go this is going to be a special show. Do you, do you have one of those or? Oh yeah, oh yeah, and I've I've yet to see it in any facet of a concert with them, uh, surprisingly. But I think if whether it be them or even even magpie if i if if the opening notes to exit came out i probably would pass out because uh, you know i've i've waited for that one a long time and i love that song that I, I can't believe that didn't make it to any official thing somewhere they have like 30 songs like that yeah that's true <laughs> uh when we, when we do have uh, a member of the band on one of the especially one that was around most of the time so it would be chris richer uh, Steve, one of the things I've always wanted to ask them, and, and hopefully I could get an honest response, how do you record Tied Up and Swallowed, Exit, um, Feathers, Title Song, Waiting Guilty, and you just leave them on the, the floor? Uh, that, that, to me, I, I mean, I agree 100%, but I always thought about it myself, and I always felt that it's like a, a band that could throw away songs like that or just put to the side it, it, it's a it's a, a testament to their the creativity that they have you know it's uh you know they're, they're discarding songs that good you know yeah we'll ha- we'll have several episodes on uh b-sides and uh unreleased material because like we said there's a plethora of that uh laying around one of the speaking of of um odd openers uh, on the uh 06 to 0506 tour i think it was in atlanta you know which obviously is their hometown they opened with a, one of my favorite B-sides, Waiting Guilty. Uh, yes. And the live version is a lot better than than the original. I believe the original version was recorded for the Shake Your Moneymaker sessions. Uh, and they draw out the the beginning of it couple, several minutes. 
And uh, when it kicks in with the drums and Rich playing, I can't help but, like, I'm a terrible dancer. If you ever see the show, you know, <laughs> just forgive me if I'm trying to dance. But you can't control yourself. It's such a good song. It is. And that actually was on my list, too. I'm that, and, and because of that drawn-out intro to it, I think that makes it such a, a cooler thing, you know. I was lucky. Yeah. I was lucky yeah. enough to get to see that live one time. Not, um, not as an opener. I think they opened the second set. It was on that, you know, goodbye to the bad guys tour or whatever. They did the two ninety minute sets. But uh, what what are some like other kind of oddball uh, it, openers that you enjoy? I, one that uh, that people might not remember, and and Rich started with it um, on his solo things in '04. He, he he busted it out as an encore. Then in 05, they kind of switched it to an opener um, now and again. It was a cover of um, uh, Don't Do It, you know, um, which I don't, I, I can't, it escapes me right now who the, did the original of that. But, uh, you know, that's uh, that's fantastic, so, that cover, and I, I always loved it. Yeah, originally it was Marvin Gaye. The, yes, band, the band, I think, changed the arrangement a little bit, and then he's covering the band's version of covering Marvin Gaye. Yes, absolutely right. Um, this is, this is it's getting kind of scary cause I have, I have my notes on my phone. Uh, midnight from the inside out. First song, uh, ever song play your first song. You like it. Uh, I have on there waiting guilty. You said it had on your list. And then I have, I saw them in Birmingham on the 0506 tour. Baby don't do it. I have that. Yeah. Uh, that's one and of the, right. that's one of the few songs where you get Chris singing a verse and then uh, rich singing a verse. Um, and they opened they opened that show in Birmingham with it, and I was just vaguely familiar with it. And uh, uh, it's one of my favorite covers. It's probably a top ten cover for me that uh, that they do after that. And it's such kind of a uh, an obscure song because I think the band I don't think they recorded it in the studio. I think it was just on a live album. Yeah, it's on the uh, the Rock of Ages album, which kind of gets overshadowed by for the band because of the last waltz. But, but yeah, it's great on there. Yeah, that, that's the arrangement they do. So, and I don't know. A lot of people don't know this, which I'm surprised. But Rich's first solo album was a live album that he released. It was online through a uh, a website called Dynasonic, which is is no longer active. But it was a, it was recorded at the Knitting Factory in in in, in uh, Manhattan, and he plays that as an encore. And I was so obsessed with that cover. I played that over and over. Like so, by the time the Crows got to it. I, I was excited. I was well into that, you know. Live at the Knitting Factory, is that the one that has the uh, Stones B-side memo from Turner on it? Yes, which is also uh, it's, it's, it's another did, great one. How did they leave that on the floor, too? Uh, and uh, I think for licensing reasons, he performed that night um, Moonlight Mile from Sticky Fingers because uh, he had the string section with him and everything, and they had to leave it off the record. But I've since, I think, uh, Boa, you know the infamous Boa put up a vid- his video of that evening, and it was included in that video, and it was great. Okay, I can't believe that I, I would have paid out to put that on the album. You know, uh, I know. Well, you can't talk about openers, Black Crows openers, and not talk about the Good Friday. Whenever they yes, I bust I that out that on a Friday. My, I had that reserved in my Brothers of a Feather uh, opening. Uh, mentions yeah it's especially like you just said on a good friday i mean it's like people are waiting for that now you know it's and, like uh, and that's it's like in my morning song on an easter sunday you know? <laughs> that's one where 
if you're at a show and that gets busted out on a Friday, you, they're in a good mood. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. It's a, yeah, that's, that's a great one, especially you know um, the live version of that. They add or Chris adds an extra, an extra, uh, you know, bar or whatever you, you however you say, on the harmonica. So it gives it. I don't know. I always like that harmonica line. It's so painful in the best way you can imagine. But he's such an underrated harmonica player. Absolutely. Um, much like uh, much like Mick, I think Jagger does a great job on the harmonica. It's something about a front man that can play the harmonica. It just it adds a whole other dynamic to to the band. Well, when we were talking about this, uh, immediately I had one event come to my mind, and this was like I said, we this is about is on the Lions tour. Um, it was right when I first started just really like analyzing set list and, and you know getting all excited. The Crows played one of the mo- one of the first publicly attended concerts after nine eleven on nine twelve oh one, and I think it was in Arizona. And mm-hmm. if you remember back, I, I mean, obviously you're a whole lot closer to that than I was, uh, given where you live. Uh, everybody was scared, and mm-hmm. you know everything was can- you know the NFL was canceled, college football was canceled, nobody was gathering in public, and they play this show, and they come out and they started off with Ballad and Wiser, and um, I did not go look at the rest of the set list, but if I remember correctly. It may have been Curse Diamond came after that, and then it was three or four really kind of mellow songs. And then I think Chris says something like, "You know, we just thought we needed to start out, um, you know, a little more somber." And then they they get into it. Uh, kudos for them for doing that because man, nobody else was nobody. Everybody else was scared to death. That's true, and you know, a double mention to them too. They were one of the first bands to come back to new york city they i think they played there maybe a couple of weeks later like that you know they were back in there and, and trying to you know be there uh, you know for the for people that needed something to to, to hold on to during that time and, and um you know they, i remember they did a thing on um i want to say it was letterman um where it was just um chris and rich and they they played a uh wasn't acoustic because because Richard was playing an electric, but it was just a stripped down version of "By Your Side." And it was so poignant at that time, and you know I really admired them for 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 trying to to to, to be there, so to speak, for 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 everybody involved in, in 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 the in the only way they they really can, you know. What's interesting, you mentioned Letterman. They were kind of almost his house band there for a while. Oh yeah, he loved. From what I understand, he loved. The Black Crows, you know, from the from the word go. Well, didn't they play "Feeling All Right" on like his one hundredth, not his hundredth, um, his one year anniversary or something like that? Uh, he yeah, hand, he yeah. handpicked them, uh, you know, and they would they would sometimes get there twice on uh, an album cycle. Um, yeah, he was. I remember uh, even as as recently as uh, before the frost that they did, um, you know, they did "Good Morning Captain" on there. And his comment after, he's like, that's how you do rock and roll. Or, or you know, I'm paraphrasing a bit, but, you know, he was really a champion of them, you know. Yeah, you can always kind of tell when Dave really likes a band or uh, or he doesn't. One of my favorite band moments was on Van Halen on the Balance Tour. They had this uh, uh, ballad called Not Enough, and they played it <laughs> on there. But before they played, obviously, Eddie's got all his gear or whatever. And, uh, you know, Letterman, before they played, looks at him and goes, you guys got enough stuff? <laughs> you know? uh, and 
yeah, it's kind of it's kind of cool sometimes the way Letterman interacts with bands. I guess it was like how Carson would interact with comics. You know, if he invited you over to your to the couch, you know, that meant that he really approved of you. And uh, I remember one time the Drive By Truckers played a song called Oh gosh, what was it? Anyway, I can't remember the name of it. Uh, Everybody needs love, maybe or something like that. And he just was really moved by it. And he said, "Can y'all play that again?" And I've never you know, never heard that. Um, all right, so I'm sitting here looking at my list, and um, some of the other ones, I'll, I'll go through them kind of quick. Uh, Always Love Hotel Illness uh, as an opening yes. song. It's one of my favorite Crow songs. That's one that uh, uh, I, I just I don't get tired of hearing. No, I mean, that's always been a favorite of mine from that. I actually like it, too. Uh, the Crowology version of that is really good, too. You know, um, that's definitely just a good, straightforward one, you know, a, a fun one. Well, and when they did that tour, uh, Gorman would always put on like a marching band hat and uniform because I saw him do it and come out with the bass drum, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, and play it. Uh, Crowology, that, that's a whole other album for uh, another podcast because, uh, and if anybody out there's got it on vinyl and wants to sell it to me at a discounted rate, well, well, you've, been, you've been after that one for a while I have <laughs> man and I can't find it for anything under $200 to be honest with yeah. you um, a couple more that I have um, uh, let's see Hotel Illness uh, said Waiting Guilty Good Friday uh, one though this isn't an opener but it's like the consensus second song no matter what the tour is seems like every time I go see them Sting Me is number two Sting Me <laughs> yeah <clears throat> there, was a, there was a running thing about that um, around the time uh I believe it was when they first came back in 05, you know, you know, was Sting Me the second song? Because it always was. But it's such a it's such a great position for that song, you know. Um, I've seen them a couple of times, and Chris always says, they call it rock and roll music, you know. Yeah. They go into it. and uh, I saw them at the Hangout Festival, the first ever Hangout Festival in Gulf Shores, Alabama. So if you've never been, it's literally, it's on the beach. And uh, they were playing in the afternoon, and uh, you know, obviously they're in the south, and, and Chris is from the south. And uh, if you're from the south, Chris has some some mannerisms and sayings that are that are maybe not familiar to other people. But he was just like, you know, all oh, the good boys and girls of the south love the rock and roll music, you know, and they kick into it. And I've always loved that song. I think it's uh, it's so much fun to think about it because that was when that second solo is when Mark Ford fires the opening salvo, and he says, "Boys." we're about to go to another level. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's what that's, you know, it's funny you mentioned the, the Mark Ford piece on that. It's one of those things that, you know, there, and it's not to take away from anybody because, you know, Luther's a great player. Oddly was a great player and they all did a nice job with material that necessarily wasn't theirs to start with, but there's certain songs that they're marks and you know, that's, that's how it's got to be. And that's one of them, you know, and that, and uh, sometimes salvation is marks, you know, and, you know, it, 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 you can't touch certain things that he did. Just it's just his style that and, made in the that. in the field. Just how he bends some of those notes and holds them like that's yeah. you know uh, nobody else can do that. All right, so that's kind of some of my favorite openers from the Crows. What what else do you have on your list? I definitely I have one, and it, it, it was documented on the um, uh, Freak and Roll DVD. But the opener on that, they did it a bunch of times on that tour. Was uh, halfway to to everywhere. But they kind of extended it at the end. It, uh, Steve goes into this drum break, you know, and then uh, it's it's um, Chris and, and and the girls singing. Uh, um, everywhere is everywhere, and nowhere is nothing. I, I always feel I'm saying that wrong, but I think that's the line. 
and uh, they just kind of break that down for a while. It's it's really cool when they do that. So I, that, I, I always wish I could see that one. And on that freaking roll, you know, they got the horns. Uh, mm-hmm. Just add, adds a whole lot to that song. Actually, that version on freaking roll really made me appreciate the version on the album even more. Yeah, I, I, it's funny. I had the same experience. I went back to it and said, oh, I forgot how much, how good this was, you know. But uh, that one and um, um, a, an odd one that folks might necessarily think of, or but I, I from the first time I heard it on the record, I thought it would be a great opener because um, they could expand upon it, was uh, moving on down the line from Warpaint. And that's just the way that that kind of starts out with the keys and builds up you know that's a really for the nights that they want to start it with like a, a slow burn and get into the the high energy that that was that was a good a cool way to go you know that's my favorite song off that album mm. and i i agree with you they would they would kind of extend it out and uh the way the the i'm not a musician so i may be butchering my analogy here but the way the kind of the keyboards start in the beginning kind of almost remind me of uh no quarter uh by led zeppelin at yes, the beginning, very just, much so. just kind of you know, kind of slow and kind of building. Uh, yeah, I, I man, I love that song. I, I that God's got it and uh, Goodbye Daughters of the Revolution and uh, Joseph uh, O Josephine. That's about all I go back to on that album. Yeah, you're talking about God's Got It, which is a, a, a cover, of course. But uh, you know, you mentioned the uh, Steve coming out with the bass drum. I remember on the '08 tour. Uh, Steve doing that during uh, God's Got It, and he would come out, and the bass drum had a picture of uh, George Bush on it with a black eye, and it was like right where he, the, the the mallet would be hitting the drum. I just thought that was funny. It's such his personality, man. You know, <laughs> just to kind of do something like that. I, it was very funny. It could have been anybody's face. It had nothing to do with George Bush in particular, but uh, it's just you know he was the political guy at the time, and. That was his little statement, and I liked it. You know? well, and he cool. and he always had good drum heads. Mm-hmm. My favorite was that one that was like Gorman for strength. Yeah, I like that one. And uh, also, he had for a while, I think it was 05 also, he had the uh, the Gonzo logo, you know, Hunter S. Thompson's, you know, the, the, the double right. thumb fist with the sword. And I actually have a tattoo of that, so I thought that was so cool. You know? Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so uh, that was a big one for me. But yeah, he always comes up with something, you know. Would you, before we get on, move on to like the the side projects. Are there any other Crow songs that you really enjoy that are openers? Openers. Yeah, I will say just one more. I think is worth a mention. Um, was and I saw it. This one I actually experienced uh, at uh, a place called Jones Beach here out on here on Long Island, New York area. Uh, you know, dead summer, and they open up with uh, Virtue and Vice. That was cool. That's a cool opener. Uh, Again, another one from an album that, uh, you know, a good portion of the fan base disregards a little bit, you know. That's that's the, probably the strongest song on that album. That and Welcome to the Good Times are, for me, you know. Um, so, um, Virtue and Vice, um, that is one that honestly I didn't give enough attention to until uh, they played it opening one of those comeback shows as at Lupo's in New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what they opened with and people were going crazy over it. And I was like, I never really got that song. And because of that, it's a great thing about all these shows because of that, I went back and listened to it and I agree. It's a, it's a great song off by your side. And it's another one of those songs that, you know, cause a lot of times, um, 
you know, obviously the big one when you're talking about Ed Harsh is uh, Descending. But his his outro on Virtue and Vice is fantastic. I mean, that's such a great, another great example of his playing, you know. Oh, Ed, Ed is missed for sure. He, mm-hmm. he is missed for sure. All right, so we also said we were going to talk a little bit about um, some of the side projects or solo projects, whatever you want to call them. And um, I've seen um, the CRB twice. Um, one of the times they opened up was Someday Past the Sunset, which I'm just not the biggest fan of. But uh, another time when I saw them, they opened up with a song that I love off of uh, the second album, The Magic Door. It's actually a cover of a Hank Ballard song. It's called Let's Go, Let's Go, Let's Go. And mm-hmm. I think that's, first of all, just the title is a great opener. Uh, and it's it's kind of a, a old school rock and roll song. And uh, I always uh, I enjoyed it when I when I heard him play it. And then I've always enjoyed it on that album. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, unfortunately, my, my CRB knowledge is a little limited. I've uh, I've never seen him. And I, you know, I, but I did, I, 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 I promise you this is true. I purchased every one of their albums because I always was big on supporting both of them and whatever mm-hmm. they did to, to allow them to be able to do it. They gave me enough over time, you know? Right. So, but, uh, yeah, I, I, someday past the sunset, I, I liked that song when I heard it on Brothers of a Feather. Um, it was a uh, very Dylan-y to me, you know, the, uh, the, the, the vocal delivery. Um, but the, actually the song you mentioned, um, Let's go, let's go, let's go. I, I I do know that one, and that is, that is a great. I could see that being a great opener, you know, uh, in a live setting. You know, that that's definitely cool. So speaking of Brothers of a Feather, um, did did you get to see any of those shows? Yes, I went with my father to the one that was at um, Jazz at Lincoln Center. I think it was. It was one of the three in New York. I at the time I could only I could only work out going to one and I, I picked that one and that was a really cool night actually billy gibbons was there that night I, my father and i walking in and i i passed by him and he's hard not to right identify and i turned to my father says billy gibbons and he's like no way that's yeah yeah so that was kind of cool he's like three feet tall too it's very <laughs> bizarre you, know, you would expect him to be this big you know right force to be reckoned with because he's billy gibbons but you know he was, he was a short, he's a small guy he was very wasn't drawing attention to himself. I mean, other than the fact that he looks like Billy Gibbons, but that was a great night. I, that was one of the the best shows I've ever seen. What they open with? Um, I believe you know. Actually, I don't want. I want to say they open with uh, with Good Friday that night, but I don't know if that's true. It might just be wishful thinking. I, I'd have to go back and look because everything was so good that night. I, I can't remember. So, what's your what's your favorite opener by them when they just did those acoustic shows like that? I always like when they open up with Cursed Diamond. That's any acoustic setting. If you open up with that, I'm good. You know? Which version of Cursed Diamond do you like? The one on Amorica or the one on um, Lost Crows or what was going to be Tall? I like the, the, the Amorica one. I like that, that setup and that delivery. It's heartbreaking, that song. And, and, and you get that live. You, you feel something off of it, which is great. And it's kind of got that classic Rich Robinson riff during the... Uh, the course yeah um, you know uh kind of a, a you know more about music than i do the tuning sounds a little a little different than what you normally would hear yeah well he's a big open tuning guy which i i i love him for he got me into it as a as an amateur player you know so uh but yeah it, 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 those those open tunings which he said himself it, it gives it kind of a um a resonance and a uh, like a drone to it that's kind of 
different than if you were in a standard tuning. I'm sure you could play it in a standard tuning, uh, you know, but it just it, it gives it a different character, which is really cool. Um, yeah, like I said, I, as far as openers for Magpie, I've only seen them once. It was Midnight from the Inside Out. But um, um, off the top of my head, I can't really think of any of their set list to, to remember the openers uh, from them. But um, I, on that first tour, they played a lot more Crows material than they have mm-hmm. now. Uh, and I think sometimes they would even open with like maybe Remedy. Uh, yeah, sometimes. I they, they they varied it up, you know. They they kept true to that Black Crows vibe of changing up the set list. I was spoiled in, in, in terms of openers from them because I saw them on the first night of the first show they ever did, which is when they did the whole video tribute to Ed, and they blasted into Descending, which was uh, it, that. I, I don't know if you've seen a video of it. There was some amateur videos of it, but you know the the, the video of Ed's being shown on on this drop cloth like curtain type thing. And they they hit descending like the 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 the, the, t- the recorded the studio version of the piano intro is played, and the band kicks in and that curtain drops and that more than anything I've ever seen just hit me right in the chest like I I, I almost like I, I was tears in the eyes on that one just because of what was the symbolism of it you know I bet I've watched that a hundred times and yeah, it, it mean, gets it, it gets me every time and also I think it goes to show how much respect they had for him because. That's one of the most unblack crows things they've ever done. They never seem to be about nostalgia or no. you know showing that kind of emotion on stage. And I, I, to me, I think it just spoke volumes of what they thought of him, not only as a musician but as a person. Yeah, I mean, and and um, it was it was a real nice send off for him, and uh, I'm, I'm glad that they had the foresight to have him involved. And you know, who knows what would have been had he continued uh with them but at least he, they had that one moment to kind of reconnect and and have that and that, that they'll, they'll always have that and that's i'm sure they're glad for that you know at that first show did you were you were you really sold early on like this is going to be special yeah i mean there was a lot of talk and you know i'm not uh, naming names or throwing anybody under the bus but there was a lot of talk about people who weren't sure if they cared for john hogg and and i always liked john hogg and hookah brown i i Went and saw Hookah Brown at this this small club, you know, here on Long Island where I am, and uh, and you know, 100, 100, 150 people in there, and it, you know, it was loud because that was when Rich was into the the the, the real drop tunings and the, the big rips, and uh, at the time, and uh, I always liked John then, and I, I I knew he would be fantastic. I always wished they had continued, and I'm really Magpie Salute for me is like the continuation of what they started. You know, uh, but they're at a much different point in both of their musical evolution. You know, John has almost like a vulnerability to his voice that I think is really endearing. Um, yeah, especially like on um, um, "Colorblind." You know, obviously, the song he wrote is about something he went through. It's just that song's always kind of touched me, and uh, I, you know, I've always appreciated uh, his his willingness to. Sometimes, you know, in the later years, Chris's voice by the end of a show or in the tour would kind of be shot. And at times, uh, you know, you'd have a hard time understanding some of the lyrics or whatever. And John has always just made up to me a, a really good faith attempt to nail the lyrics. And, and he does such a good job because think of what he's asked to do. He's asked to sing like Chris, or not sing like Chris Robinson, but sing Chris Robinson songs, one of the, you know, 
most iconic voices of, of, of our generation. And then they'll, you know, throw in a Rod Stewart song, uh, you know, or, or Led Zeppelin. I mean, he's asked to do, a, the man's asked to do a lot and he pulls it off remarkably well. He does. And I remember a, a, a quote from, from Rich. He's saying, well, sometimes I just suggest these songs because I want to hear how John's going to sing them. And it's like, that's such a great thing, you know. And you mentioned Rod Stewart. One of the, the nicest song, the covers that John does is uh, Gasoline Alley. I mean, when they bust that out, that's, wow. I mean, that's he really does a nice job with that. And they he do, does a great job on every picture tells a story. Yeah. I mean, uh-huh. he's got that, that Rod Stewart. Uh, even with the faces material, you know, that Rod Stewart, you know, cadence and delivery down, you know, he must be a fan, obviously. So we've gone through everything except uh, opening songs for Rich on his, when he performed solo. What, is there anything stands out for you on that? Yeah, I've seen Rich quite a few times. I, let me, I, he, um, he opened in, uh, in 04 um, with Know Me which was a hookah brown song that he just, you know, carried over into his, and that, that was a lot of power. But, um, you know, other than that, um, I, he had a song on, um, uh, through a crooked sun. Sorry, I was trying to think of the name of the record there. It went out of my head. Uh, it was called fire around and much like, um, moving on down the line, it kind of has that slow burn in the beginning. It builds up. That was a really cool opener. But, uh, you know, his solo stuff shows to me were, weren't. It was a different thing. Like he could open with pretty much anything. It was. It was just. It was the whole show was a package that really resonated with me. It was a little different than you know getting a big opener and then seeing where they go. He kind of just. He a lot of times he would kind of slowly go into things and build up. You know, to a to a, a peak. It was a little different experience with him solo. All right, this is an oddball question, but I have my answer in my head. If there's one rich song that he recorded on a solo album that you would like to hear the Crows record, what would it be? Oh man, that's a that's a tough one. I'll tell you mine. What do you I, think? I could I could tell you just because the vibe is 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 close enough to the Crows where to pull it off. Um, it's off of um, Flux, uh, the Giving Key. You um, took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> That's the one. I mean, you know, I hear that, and I, I, I love that song. So, you know, for them to to do that would be something too. You know, it's got that sometimes salvation vibe to it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's that's. I mean, it's getting kind of scary because that was that was the <laughs> one. Uh, that was the one I was thinking. I was like, man, I would love to hear Chris sing that and and hear and hear Ford attack one of those solos as well. Yeah, which I think I think Ford. I think they've done it in the magpie and I think he's taking a shot at it. So you, you've got that part a little bit, but yeah, to see the, the crows hit that one. That's nice. my favorite rich solo album. Ceaseless sight. Yeah. Oh, is that ceaseless? I'm getting confused. I thought it was, yeah, yeah. you're right. You're absolutely right. And that is my favorite album too, uh, of his, you know, I, 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 when that came out, the summer that came out, I think I played that every day on my way home from work, uh, <laughs> you know, until uh, the CD player said, uh, can you get something else in here, please? You know, <laughs> Uh, well, that's uh, kind of covers everything I had on my list. Do you have anything left out there? Um, surprised as you may be, just one thing I did want to mention because I was going through all the different facets. And uh, speaking of Chris, uh, when he was going around with uh, New Earth Mud, 
they had two songs that I always thought were excellent openers. I don't know how familiar you are with that facet of his yeah, thing, yeah. but uh, there was a, a song, obviously, from the album, and uh, the first album. It's called Safe in the Arms of Love. And I think he opened every show on the 2002 run with that. But then later on, he had a song. It never made it to a record. It made it to this um, unofficial, unofficial bootleg that they gave out at shows uh, for a little bit. It was called High Speed Transportation LA City Limit Blues. I don't know if you're familiar with that one, but that was such a great opener. And anybody that was hung out at the Hallucination Nation for a while there remembers that one. It was, it was, it was a popular one. And I got, I got the chance to see him do it. I, not as an opener, but I saw him play it uh, in New Orleans, as a matter of fact. And um, that was great. I had a great time with that one. So, I love that yeah. second, that, this magnificent, magnificent distance. Uh, I I love that album. Um, oh yeah. And and safe in the arms of love is obviously off the first album. When when I heard it at first, I was like, what is this? You know. And then yeah. I was like, this is really good. He's just in a different headspace. Um, when I think of that album, I think of that song and I think of, uh, obviously Sunday sound, um, which is yeah. just, man, that's just a great song. Um, are you familiar with the song? He, I don't think he, I don't know if I ever heard him play it live. It was on like the banger sister soundtrack, the red road. Yeah. That, that was his actually, uh, his first solo track. And, um, I always liked it when it came out on the record, but live, uh, that it had a whole different life, which was great too. I, I always thought it was a great song. Live, he did it. it you know, now that you say that, I remember he did it a little more stripped down, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, if I remember right, like the uh, the the studio version had like a, a syncopated kind of programmed drumming thing to it, which, like, I I enjoyed it. I thought it was different. A lot of people were kind of put off by that because you know there's a lot of a lot of the, a lot of Black Crows folks are purists. You know what I mean? So, uh, but. Um, I always liked that live, and he kind of, he kind of did interesting things with it. I, I I was a big big fan of the New Earth Mud thing. I, I really enjoyed it. I liked what the Stacy Brothers brought to it. You know, I I really thought they had something good going there, and um, you know, obviously interrupted by the Crows reunion, which of course was a, a the greatest thing you know I could think of at the time, and then you know it, it never everybody kind of moved on i guess and you know he he started the brotherhood as his next project you know yeah i would like to i wouldn't mind seeing some you know get audley back and and the stacy brothers uh i remember going to see them open for the mule it's a really cool venue uh, it's just off bill street in memphis there's a gibson guitar factory and they put mm-hmm. concerts on there and this was right when new earth mud was coming out and uh actually wound up standing at the soundboard with jeremy stacy for about 10 minutes i'm a huge oasis fan you know and so obviously they're big you know paul produced a lot of oasis stuff that was just a that was a fun time um for me uh in the you know in the crow with the in the crow's timeline um we've gone through a lot of songs uh this week uh it's whole lot of freaky kind of agreement we got going on here especially with like the giving key and midnight from the inside out uh it's kind of yeah, scary some obscure ones we kind of match up on there which is hey that's great to me so <laughs> yeah i guess we'll i guess we'll butt heads when you come out and say how much you like sleepy heads uh listen uh i can't <laughs> i can't say uh it's my favorite but i don't uh i don't dislike it as much as everybody else does you know it's uh, it's fun you know what i mean it definitely didn't make I could see why it's not on any album anywhere, but you know, 
So I think somebody one time said it was like a, uh, a Sesame Street song or something. And I, I, it was a bit rough, but I, I, you know, I get it too. So, you know, <laughs> I agree. Well, everybody, that's probably going to be the end of, of episode number two. Um, I do want to remind you to uh, post uh, in the comment section on Facebook under our um, our post, uh, tag two people in it, and we're going to pick somebody and uh, send you a Nugs gift card enough to download uh, a show <coughs> of your choice. Ian, it was an, it was fun. Uh, I enjoyed it. Many oh, more yes. to come. Absolutely, and I, again, I just want to thank everybody who's listened so far, anybody that keeps coming on board, and uh, you know, spread the word if you can. We really appreciate it, and we want to keep doing this for you. So, uh, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again uh, next time, which will be very soon. I hope. Yes, real quick: Twitter, State of America, uh, Instagram, State of America podcast, Facebook, State of America podcast. To play us out this week from I believe, January the eleventh, nineteen ninety-two. Or ninety, yes. yeah, ninety, nineteen ninety two, from Rotterdam. No speak, no slave. After you listen to it, go watch the video on YouTube. And if that doesn't light your fire, your wood's wet. And we'll leave you with that. <laughs> Have a good week, everybody. And we'll 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 see you in a week. It's going to be a week. We're not going to wait a month. Take care and stay tall. Yeah.